Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast here. And today, my guest is an MMA fighter who currently competes in the lightweight division of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. With a background in Shotokan Karate and Taekwondo, he's a fierce competitor who's known for his brutal striking style. He's also a former undefeated kickboxer who won a gold medal while fighting in the United States Kickboxing Association. He's an MPM certified coach, a master of the mental game. Super excited to talk today with John McDessie, not only about his MMA career and how he applies the mental game, but also now kind of his transition into also coaching mental performance and some of the, some of that whole process. Excited to dive into that. Still competing in the UFC. John McDessie, welcome to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast. Thank you for having me, Brian. Yeah, man, super excited to reconnect with you. I know it's been, uh, you know, I used to live in Burlington, Vermont, and we were close to Montreal where you were, and I know you spent some time training in Wisconsin and Milwaukee and out here in Arizona, and man, we just keep missing each other, you know, wherever we're at, but it's great to finally connect with you. And, you know, John, would you tell our listeners kind of how did you get started in martial arts? I started martial arts at the age of six, uh, being, you know, a typical Lebanese uh, third, uh, I was uh, the third kid in the you know in, in a family of four parents came from lebanon immigrated from the war in the 70s i was born in nova scotia halifax and i was kind of a troubled kid you know what i mean and the martial arts i got connected to martial arts at a very young age and uh, it was like my calling you know i was very fortunate and i was very good at it i pursued martial arts uh, i was and then after one thing led to another and it was kind of uh, you know i turned it into a professional career and tell us a little bit about kind of what drew you to Shotokan Karate and exactly what that is. Well, Mar well, first of all, when it comes to the combative skills, there's multiple different skills. You have over 100 different arts, you know, and a lot of it is culture, a lot of it is religion, and a lot of it is, is self-defense, you know. Karate is, is origins from Japan, right? So the Japanese came, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, martial arts came from Eastern, uh, the hemisphere of Eastern, like Japan, North Korea, China. Karate came from there, and it was a Shotokan. It's a specific art from a, from a sensei uh, that, that kind of, uh, you know, I connected with a guy here in Montreal who was my karate instructor, and he practiced Shotokan, and I, I, I connected with him. You know, and Taekwondo was my first discipline. And then I turned, and I converted, and I met another instructor. He was a kickboxer. And then that's when I got introduced to mixed martial arts. Once I pursued that, I met TriStar, you know, the, that's how I got connected with you with, and the Farais and George St. Pierre and all the high-level guys. And I kind of took that to another level and I got into the UFC. You know, and early on when you first started in your kind of combat sports career, you were heavily involved in kickboxing and you were, you were dominant. You know, you posted a 22-0 undefeated record. Yeah. And how did your days in kickboxing, you know, prepare you for a career in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing, right? So I was a big, my passion was kickboxing, you know, very uh, stand-up uh, with, the, with the big gloves. Once that kind of, in the North America, kind of faded away. I, I mean, uh, it wasn't, there was not a lot of money in there. There was not really, couldn't really pursue, uh, you know, back in the 80s, back in the 70s, it was very popular in North America. So when that kind of died out, it, it gave me the discipline and it gave me the, the self-esteem, the confidence to translate that into MMA, even though I had no experience on the ground. You know, mixed martial arts, is a, it's a different animal. You know, you're talking about elbows, strikes, knees, you have wrestling, grappling. So there's a lot of variables, a lot of skill sets that I needed to develop. But having a base, having a structure 
kind of gave, built me the confidence to, to pursue that, regardless of my disadvantages. You know, John, your first UFC fight was in 2010, UFC 124. And most recently, you fought in March of 2020. And the interesting part about fighting for a decade, but then fighting in March was it was in Brazil and it was right as the concerns about the pandemic and COVID-19 were kind of really shaking and rocking the world of sports. What was it like for you as a professional athlete to be fighting at this time during the COVID-19 and the pandemic and then fighting in an empty arena? What was that like and how is that different than most of your fights? I traveled the world with this book. If you guys don't know it yet, go out there and check out this book. You know, of course, Brian Kane, the mental... That it's all about the the mind, brother. Like that's the thing, right? This is why I wanted to, to really talk to you because you have no idea. I know I know you're a very busy guy, and we kind of like a lot of I, you know a lot of things happen in the world. The world is busy. We live in a very busy time. But the what kept me focused, regardless of everything, with with uh, facing and had an injury prior to my fight, my last camp, I wasn't really I wasn't in a good state of uh, I wasn't in a good environment. I had to travel. I wanted to expand my horizon. You know the the weather. There's a lot of things I wanted to try. Like you always said to me, that the journey is the word, not the destination. I was, I was too focused on comfort, being comfortable. What does that mean? You know, raised, you know, make, being close to my family. Not, I, I don't want to uh, be staying at home. But then I say, you know what? Fuck it. I want to travel. I want to. I want to. I want to do it for myself. It's not really necessarily about uh, other people. It's more about myself. I wanted to challenge my abilities. I got connected to Arizona. First of all, Arizona, I have to say, it's a beautiful state. Man, there's no way. You can't be depressed every day you wake up to sun. It's a beautiful, like, compared to Montreal, always in the cold, always dark. It's, it plays with, the weather plays with your emotion. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Uh, the environment, environmental, culture, everything plays a factor. And me going to Brazil under COVID-19, faced an injury, through it also i if you look at the numbers i believe i won that decision but again out of my control is the judges at the end of the day it's a part of the game uh i lost that decision but i was coming from a three-win streak i was going from a high a lot of a lot of ups and lows as a mixed martial artist and i i felt like you know what i didn't have the confidence to like if you didn't reach out to me if you didn't say, you know what john you're one of my uh uh I was one of your best students, you know, like you worked with a lot of different athletes, you worked with a lot of guys and you, and you used to always give me, you had a lot of confidence in me and you gave me the push to like, you know what, John, like experiment, pursue it a little bit. I was a little bit hesitant, you know, in a sense of like how to take the mental game to another level. And I, I decided to really, uh, I really fell in love with it, you know, and I have my own way. Of course, that's what makes as a, like you have your style, I have my style, but at the end of the day, it's all about, it's all about self-expression and, and giving back, right? Helping other people, doing something that you love, and and doing it the proper way, and not just not just using it for your own selfish needs. You know what I mean? And um, you're a big contribution to my mind in a sense where every all those times we did work together, when you did spend time with me, you you invested the time and you spoke to me. And when I was very fortunate, when you were working with George, and I was always in his undercard. I was always like, let me say, the black sheep, the shadow of George. It was very frustrating. But then the more I got older, I realized, you know what, man? Sometimes it is what it is. Like, I wanted, to, I wanted to spread my wings and fly. I wanted to be my own version of myself. And being a, an MMA, it's a very tough, it's a cutthroat business. And when you're, and when that, 
when you're under a guy like George St. Pierre, the bar is so high, it puts pressure on you as a as a as a, a guy who's in a smaller scale. But you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things, a lot of demons I had to deal with. But the mental game helped me a lot to deal with myself and helped me with to pursue my own calling. You know what I mean? And that's why I wanted to start personally. I wanted to start doing my own thing on the side and helping others with the personal coaching and the mental game is a big aspect of it. And I always contribute. I always give you the credit. And that's why I really wanted to reach out and do a podcast because I wanted the world. I wanted to express how much of uh, your skill sets and you contribute to my to my uh, inner peace and happiness. Uh, John, it's awesome to hear, man. What are some of those key things that you feel like make up your mental game that you're also sharing with the people who you coach and work with? Well, that, 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 like, it's very simple. You know, it, it's all about understanding the, the human, the mind, the mind. The, the, there's a scientific approach and there's a natural approach. You don't want to be too mechanical, but you also don't want to be too natural. You know what I mean? In a sense where you don't want to play, you want to be in between finding the intermediate balance, you know? So understanding certain things like, you know, uh, everything that we work together, we coach the mental imagery, the four, the four reprieve system, you know, under, rec- recognizing your thoughts, understanding as a human nature, like certain things are out of your control. Uh, like I cannot, someone like me who's, uh, you know, I can only speak for myself, you know, someone who's very inverted, not sociable, very shy to himself, likes, you know, doesn't want to have big walls around him, doesn't want to like, uh, you know, I'm always trying to protect myself, pushing people away. I'm scared to, to interact. I had to kind of like burst the bubble, you know what I mean? And the mental part, everything that we work together. When it came to the actual, the, the, the technique, you know, the, the step-by-step, the breathing, the mind, understanding your thoughts, understanding the, what you can control and what you can't control. But the most important thing was, was, was that. Dealing with your own emotions, understanding your, like, like maybe, you know what, uh, how to deal with adversity and how to deal with setbacks, you know what I mean? As a, putting a lot of pressure on yourself as an athlete, specifically as a, as a performer, you have to go out there and you have to perform. And if you don't perform, best is not, an, as a fighter, best is not your enough. You got to be better all the time and it's never ending. It's a, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it's a, con- it's a constant grind. And some of the things, you know, that you've talked about are, you know, keeping your focus on the things you can control, learning to become comfortable with being uncomfortable and continually trying to grow, you, using, you know, visualization, using breathing, uh, allowing, you know, kind of adversity to become your advantage or that mindset of E plus R equals O of event plus response equals outcome, right? And in, in a career as a mixed martial artist, there's always ups and downs, right? As we say, it's not the best fighter who wins, it's the guy who fights the best. And sometimes, you even fight your best and fight better, but three judges see it differently. And you may have won the fight statistically. You may have landed more punches, more significant strikes, had more takedowns, had more submission attempts, but you still lost. And it's because so much of that can be outside of your control, right? So as they say, never let it go to the judges. Well, if you could control it not going to the judges, then you would do it that way, you know? But there's so many factors in mixed martial arts that come into play, and that's part of the reason why, why I love it. And one of those factors is, you know, Take us through, for all those of us who have never been inside of the cage and been in a professional mixed martial arts fight, the adrenaline that you go through, like physiologically, John, what's it like when you're in the locker room and you start warming up and you make your way to the cage? Like, take us through that process. What's that like for you? For me, I always try to say it's like, it's like you're in a dream. You know, it's like it's a twilight zone. Everything slows down. Things, it, it, you become like, it's a, it's a, 
it's it's a crazy feeling. It's, it's such a rush. You have you have a little bit of the adrenaline, your heart beating, and that's where the mental stuff, like calming yourself down, like understanding that, you know, I mean, this is all normal stuff, like the rush, the stress, the nerves, all these things, the anticipation, right? You're waiting. You have to be very disciplined to wait in the in the backstage two hours prior, three hours, four hours, waiting that eventually your turn is going to come up. Staying, you have to break a sweat, stay stay mentally sharp, focused. And at that moment of those two-hour gaps, there's 10,000 thoughts that enter your brain. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you you dealt with many fighters. A lot of fighters, some, some guys, they're in the back and they want to, like, I don't want to fight no more. Some guys just like, I don't want to. I don't want to go in there. Into like you, you wake up that day. If you feel, if you go with the way you feel, ninety percent of the time you're not going to perform. And that's why, like, some days I wake up I'm like, oh man, I don't want. I don't feel good. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, that's 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 the other aspect of the game where we train every day to make sure that on that on that one night that counts, we have to make sure that we can perform. And that's the craziest part because what if you wake up that day and you got a cold? Uh, if something happened to your family, imagine your mother. Like my mother called me on that day. My mother, I'm very close to my mother. My mom called me. She's like, why do you have to fight? My mom already put worry in my brain because of COVID-19. She's like, I said, mother, I said, I love you. But this is, you know what I mean? I'll talk to you later. I'm good. I'm safe. Don't worry. I'm healthy. My mother was worried about my health. She's like, she thought I was going to be stuck in Brazil. Everything was going. There was so much. And then there was no audience. There were so many things. There were so many factors that I was fighting. I was fighting, I call them my inner demons, you know. A lot of things in the head, that this is the, like a lot of things was playing, uh, going into the, the fight in Brazil. I was the, that was the first uh, televised fight with no audience. So it was crazy, man. It was such a, it was such a weird experience. What was that like? What was it like your whole career? You're walking into the Mandalay Bay, you're walking into T-Mobile Arena, you're walking into the Bell Center in Montreal. There's 20,000 screaming fans. And now you're in Brazil and you're walking in and there's nobody. What, how, <laughs> when I asked Rich Franklin this, right? I asked Rich Franklin, I said, would, would, would it have been different for you to fight with no crowd? Now he didn't do it, but he said, he said, I don't think it would have been different because I was so focused on what I needed to do that it was just background noise and I probably wouldn't even notice there was no one there. But you did it. What was it like to fight with no crowd? Was it different for you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's very simple, right? It's like, it's like you're in the kitchen. You want to make the perfect cake, but you're missing an ingredient, right? Like it's an audience. The energy of an audience, it plays a big role on my, like, on, on my, it's, we're all vibration. Like, you're looking at a universal, like, you're talking about the universe. We're all, we're all connected. We live in a world of separation and everybody has, but at the end of the day, we're all connected. Being in an arena that is empty, it did feel very unnatural, right? Yes, the performance is 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 your yeah, you hundred percent your focus, and you're gonna go in there just like you go into a just like you go into the gym and you spar, you have a sparring session, and there's all you hear is the coaches yelling out instructions. But the 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 the, the crowd, the energy of the crowd, it does play a factor. You know I mean? Regardless if they're booing you or they're cheering for you, the energy is still there, right? So subtracting that it, it did it does uh do something in a in a sense of as a as a feeling like your your emotions the feeling the sensations are not the same especially if you're a guy like me who who's who strives off emotionally energized i need to be emotionally energized you know what i mean or it's just it's like it's like very boring for me 
Yeah. And does, does that change once you make contact? I mean, does that change once you get hit and then for the next 15 minutes, it's just as normal or was it like that for the whole fight too? Like when you were in between rounds where you're like, God, there's nobody here. This is weird. Or does that not even enter once you guys start throwing down? Well, here's the thing, right? I, I, I'm able to tunnel vision. It did, it, like I was very aware and conscious of my surrounding. Like the whole time, everything was weird. Like, uh, you know what I mean? They were saying that we're not going to fight. We're going to fight. We're not going to fight. We are going to fight. Bellator guys, did. a lot of other uh, professional sports canceled all their events. So that going back and forth, me going to the arena, they're holding us back in, in, the, in the hotel and they're just taking a small group at a time for the whole uh, regulations, right? The COVID-19 regulations, like you can't have more than 100 people in the same place for all the testing and this and that. All these like factors were always there, right? But I have to stay focused in a sense where, but now the aftermath, now that I'm calm and I'm more like I, I reflected on that experience, it does play a factor. I, I don't care what anyone says. It does play a factor on your performance. Uh, does that make you a better fighter or, or do you? fight better i mean that's not really that's irrelative it's but it does play on the energy level in an mm. in in energy sense it is weird you know what i'm trying to say to yeah. go out there and not to see nobody there yeah i bet walking into a big arena and there's just nobody no, you know? yeah it's weird how is uh how did the quarantine affect your training was training different in terms of you know how you guys would go about your business and preparing for the fight or was that normal as well well, we were very lucky in Arizona at the MMA lab. I connected with Ben Henderson, a, a phenomenal guy. He was a good mentor for me to experience. I wanted, he was a good guy, very, very humble, very grounded. And uh, the, the gym was still open, right? So we were able to go do our practices. It was a pro class, it was a pro uh, practice. So, I mean, it wasn't really as, uh, it wasn't as serious once, uh, once after the, the aftermath. When I came back after the fight in Brazil, then it, the, the government started to have restrictions. But before, prior to that, it wasn't as serious. You know, one of the things that you've spoken about in the past and some of the things you do to keep perspective as a professional athlete, and I know you've, you're, you're big into meditation. Would you talk a little bit about meditation and how you use that as an athlete? Yeah, 100%. So, so I love philosophy. That's one of my side things. Like I like, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of stoicism. Stoicism. Uh, it's Marcus Aurelius back in the Roman time. He was a famous emperor. And how to deal with the obstacle is the way you, you, you introduced me to that. Obstacle is the way. How to deal with anger. You know, obviously, I'm not going to shy about it. I'm a fighter, so we, I have anger issues. How to deal with anger management. How to deal with setbacks, right? Meditation for me, it's not like this fucking yoga little thing and you sit down in a, in a mat in front of people and you... No, meditation should be always. You should always be meditating. And what does that mean is that... Meditation, I feel like it's becoming like a trend. Like it's a, it's like you should meditate at a yoga session. No, you should be meditating. And right now, I'm talking to you. I'm also I'm meditating, being the present moment, putting like understanding like how to be present as much as possible as a human being. That's of course that's you're gonna get distracted, especially in today's world of constant stimulation, where there's iPhones, where there's cell phones, where are ten thousand different applications. Right, our minds are even. It's in today's the the, the millenniums are even. It's even harder to concentrate. So for me, meditation is simply being the present moment as much as possible. How do you? Let me ask you this: When you when you get out of the present, how do you get yourself back? Well, that's this is the 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 that's I, I, well that's what I'm going to credit you for this, right? The 
recognizing the you know the green lights remember the green yellow and the red recognizing that you know what i mean that you are going to fade away you are going to have distractions you know what i mean and just re- recognizing being aware conscious hmm. yeah awareness right awareness is the first step to all growth and in order to it's why when we talk about the 10 pillars and we say you know pillar 3 focus and awareness it's the focus to be in the present moment but the awareness to know when I drift or when I'm not and then bring it back. And really, you know, what the practice of meditation does and John, Jonathan Falcone, who we had on the, on the podcast as well, and is a, is a Lieutenant in the U S Navy and a former, you know, college lacrosse goalie. He said the same thing as he said, the, the, the biggest thing is being present and recognizing when you drift and being able to pull it back. And that's really what meditation is, as he says, the analogy is meditation is like being at a, being at a train station. And a train pulls up and then a train leaves. And are you going to get on the train? And the train may be playing the music you like. The train may be calling you, John, come get on. John, get on the train. But is that the train that you want to get on? And if it's not, you let it go. And it's like your thoughts. Some thoughts come in and it's a train you want to entertain and you entertain and you build on that thought and you dig into that thought and you might put that thought into action. You might get on that train or you might let that train pass. And if you decide you get on the train and you find out it's the wrong train, you just simply try to get off at the next stop. I think that's, you know, one of the better analogies I've heard around meditation as a practice to get you back to present. And I know one of the other techniques that you use a lot um, that's important to you is, is journaling. Would you talk a little bit about how you journal and why you journal? Yeah, man, I write every day. Every day. For me, that's like my routine, right? Having routine that keeps you consistent, something that you also taught me. Uh, journal for me is like my self-therapy, right? People, for me, it's like therapeutic. I sit down. I have. I have. I, I always wake up. I have my. I have my daily journal. I have my like short-term goals, my long-term goals, and some some of the goals I don't even reach. And and that's another thing. People don't. People. I feel like we live in a world where we have. We have. We expect so much from ourselves as a human, like to be high achievers, and we don't reach those. And if I don't, if I don't achieve a certain thing, and you become become hard on ourselves, and we go through a depression. You know, and a lot of people don't want to talk about the bad stuff, but I, I I welcome the negative and the positive. That's why when people like you look at those motivational speakers, you know, these motivational guys, it's always good. It's good when you're you're making good money, you're on top of the world, and you're world champion. It's very easy to talk to talk positive, but I want to see the guys who are who are depressed, the guys who don't have anything, and do and and see them get out of that get out of that state of mind and, and and that for me is like i like to connect with those people i want to it's easy for me to be surrounded by all the, the achievers you know but i like to connect with, like when it comes to my personal growth and when it comes to my personal coaching i like to connect with a guy who who's in the bottom and and he has low self-esteem and i want to bring him up for me that's an accomplishment you know uh, and that's what i'm doing right now you know i like to i work with individuals who have no self-esteem who have zero confidence and they're always like john i can't believe and i reach out to them i said listen man i want to i want to help you out with everything that i learned from my mentors uh you know and i always mention your name all the time and and they're like you know why why are ufc fighter john mcdessey reaching out to me like and just the way they're talking it's like crazy you know i'm trying i'm trying to connect with them in the in a human level in a, in a forget about professional forget about as a professional because at the end of the day our time on this planet the material world is it's not forever our time is very short so it's 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 the internal part that i focus on as a as a human being how can i contribute and for me it fulfills me you know money 
material world cannot fulfill that part of me. So this is why I decided to, to, to pursue that side. I love it. I love that the, the sense of contribution, right? And the contribution and giving back and, and taking the things that you've learned along your path, which it hasn't always been easy. You know, it's been, it's been an up and down path. And but with the downs, allow you to gain momentum for when you come back up, you know, and I, and you've mentioned a lot of really good, you know, techniques and things here, John, just to kind of revisit what we've talked about. You mentioned stoicism, meditation, journaling, goal setting, uh, welcoming both the positive and the negative because the growth can come from that. Um, you talked about the visualization, breathing, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, controlling what you can control, anticipation and participation. And often anticipation is worse than participation. We've talked about that. And nowhere in sport do you see anticipation is worse than participation more than in the 48 hours leading up to an MMA fight. You know, you also mentioned the four rip three system of having routines, being able to recognize your signal lights, have something to go to to release if you're in red or yellow and refocus back to green. Those are the four R's, recognize, release, refocus, and, and, and routines. The I is mental imagery and the three P's of present, process, and positive. Are there other mental performance techniques, John, that you used as a fighter or ones that you're using with the people that you're coaching? Now? Yeah, fit, well, physically, right? Physically, to get into that state of mind, is, is I always say music. For me, music puts you in the right place. Listen to your music. I always say I always suggest whatever music you like, you put it on, you put it in your ears. You know, what I mean, get you relaxed, get you into a rhythm, relax the stress. You know, because physically, you see a lot of people, even when they're breathing. I tell them, start, they breathe from the chest. They make this like you see physically their body language. You look at their body language, like how to be relaxed. Even when I'm nervous as fuck, you got to be ice cold, and you have to learn how to breathe from the belly, from the inside, and holding the breaths. Right? You have different, like everything that we, we work together. You have uh, the five, four, three, two, one how to inhale, exhale, holding the breath, releasing the breath, letting in good, letting out bad, clean water in, dirty water, whatever way you want to talk to it, whatever the way you want, whatever way, just 10,000 ways, just 10,000 different techniques, but you have to find out what works for you because that's another thing. That's what makes us human. We're not, we're not robots. We try to live very mechanical. We try to be robotic, but at at the end of the day, we're not built like that. Everybody is built differently, and so what I try to, what I try to do for myself and for others is, don't be like me. Be like you, and and whatever you learn, some of it you might not uh, observe, you might not keep in, but that's fine. But the things that you might keep, well, that you might observe, you're gonna probably use it for the. You're gonna use it, right? So I can I can I can throw tools at them. At the end of the day, it's up to them to figure out what works for them and what doesn't. Yeah, it's a difference in perspective of, of trying to be the best versus being your best, right? And being the best, all your focus is out in comparison to other people and comparison is the thief of all joy. But when you're focused on being your best, the focus goes from out to in and you say, okay, well, what, what am I doing to become the best version of me? And when you're in this pursuit of becoming the best version of you or you're in the pursuit as a professional athlete and mixed martial arts fighter, the progress is not made like this. Progress is a very rocky road. And part of that road is injuries, especially in your line of work in mixed martial arts. 
as you're recovering from, from an ACL and meniscus surgery, John, what are some of the steps that you take to help deal with? Well, first, I guess, is let's deal with, let, let me ask you, is there, is there any frustration? Do you have a tendency to get negative because maybe you can't move as much as you used to or maybe earlier in the rehab process? And are there things that you do to help you to stay patient and kind of stay locked in mentally? Well, that's a great question, man. I'm happy that you brought that up. So, so, so first off, like when it came to my mixed martial art, right? I was, I was born, I was born in Canada, raised in Montreal, TriStar Gym, George St. Pierre, right? That was a, he was a big role model. He was like, that was the measuring state. If I wanted to pursue that, like if I wanted to model his blueprint, then I went to Milwaukee and I, I associated myself with Anthony Pettis, another model. And then I went to Arizona and I, I connected with Ben Henderson. All these guys are all world champions. And what I learned from all three of them, they're all fucking different. They all train different. They're all taught different. So I realized like, I'm like, fuck. so I said, I took a step back and I reassessed myself. Like, what am I trying? Am I trying to follow someone else's footsteps? And that's like we talked about. That's the recipe for disaster. Because if you're always going to compare yourself to other people, you're always going to be miserable. And that's the hardest part is to, to, to look within you, not external. And as a, as, a, as a human being, I don't care what anyone says. Most people, they probably shy away from it. We, we are connected, and especially with social media. It's very easy to go on YouTube, Instagram, uh, look at all the nice pictures of other people are happy. And then you kind of, it puts you in that state of mind like, oh, you know, I, I, don't, I, I need to be a millionaire to be happy. I need to be a world champion to be happy. And like, no one really talks about that. What if, what if you're not a millionaire? What if you're not a world champion? Does that mean you're never going to be happy as an athlete? Now, now separating that side of my professional career, I had to accept the fact that I have my own inner demons that I got to face. So I take full responsibility, holding yourself accountable for yourself. You know what I mean? And what do I do is the visual boards, having imagery, pictures, nice inspirational quotes. I keep myself, I keep myself, occupied with certain quotes certain books either in the kitchen table anywhere that i'm majority of the time when you're an athlete you're either in the kitchen you're cooking your food you're in the gym or you're in the bathroom <laughs> so or you're sleeping you're in the bed you gotta rest your body right if i train three four hours a time i just want to close my brain i want to put on audio i put on meditation i put on a relaxing uh, 15 minute power nap I put a nice zen and I just breathe and I try to eliminate thoughts in my head. I get back to the present moment. And when I, I am in a, in a very bad place, I call it the dark cloud. I, I get the fuck up and I go for a walk. I go drink a glass of water. I physically do something, put on music. Whatever it is, everybody's different. We have just many different techniques, but as long as you get out of that state of mind, and that's what I, I focus on. And John, two things that I know that you, you've, you've done during your career and you've talked about them a little bit here is, is like a, a vision board and kind of that collage of images and quotes. Could you talk a little bit about that? And then also, I know writing things down where you can see them like a dry erase marker on a mirror where you're writing down yeah. quotes and things. How do you use both the mirror and the vision board as a way to kind of keep advertising to yourself the mindset and the thoughts and the attitudes that you want to have? So, yeah. So that for me, it's a it's scientifically proven. Like that, that's again, that's another thing that that we work together. You told it because you know people are always like, oh, I keep it in my head. You know, let me keep it in my head. I say, yeah, but keeping it in your head is not good enough because you're gonna forget. Having a visual, a picture, writing things down, it it brings it back to surface. It brings it back. What you see it when you can see it, 
you read you read the voices in the head you read it's called affirmation you read it's like it's like a soldier why do it why does a soldier run every day and they have affirmations because you're conditioning the mind it's called mental conditioning it's it's not a question of of uh, am i am i confident or why like people think it's weird to talk to yourself it's not weird to talk to yourself it's actually very healthy to talk to yourself why you go to the gym and do 10 push-ups every day or 15 push-ups why do i throw a thousand punches is that weird to that I throw a thousand jabs why is it weird to say the same word over and over repetitive in my brain so it's all about perspective people don't people are not educated enough and and it's kind of like a dark matter because psychologically the brain is still until today is a very unique uh it's very unique you know the the, the human brain like if if they say professionals say that we only use I'm not sure the accuracy but what is it they say 10% we use of, of our brain capacity I don't know what's the percentage, but it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that uh, constant advertising, that constant affirmation, it's like a GPS, right? And we're all, we're all, we're all on the highway. And when you have those visual representations, whether it's a picture of something that inspires you or a picture of a goal or target that you're going after or something from the Daily Stoic or from Success Hotline or something that a, a concept of a turn have to into want to or get comfortable being uncomfortable, anything like that whether it's a picture or words, when you see it, it's almost like it's a repetition for you in your mental game. It is mental conditioning. And, you know, John, this is something that you've been working at now for close to probably 10 years, you know? Um, what, where do you think you would be if you never started this process? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it'll be, it's interesting. Uh, honestly, I, I, it's a good, it's, that's an amazing question. I, I really, honestly, it wouldn't... Uh, it actually scares it scares the shit out of me. Like it's it's like it's a very dark place. Let's let's put it that way. It'll be in a very dark place. I mean, you've been you've been fighting in the UFC, man. That's playing in the NFL and the NHL <laughs> for a decade, dude. You've been doing this for ten years. Right. Do you think that if you weren't doing mental performance, you would still be competing at the level you're at? So right now, I just got a buddy of mine send me a message saying, "John, did you know that you're the only veteran left in the UFC?" I go, "What do you mean?" I go, "He's like you're the only Canadian fighter left." Everybody's either they're either they're retired or they're cut. So I'm like, I had no idea. Like I'm still like I did not know that I'm the only Canadian fighter who was a veteran. Like I I was in the UFC when it was the original owners. You know, I was in the UFC when when they're paying fighters six thousand dollar purse money. Like I was in the UFC, you know what I mean? Like now the UFC is in a bigger platform. There's over six hundred athletes signed into the UFC so and I'm still there you know so it's in a it's a beautiful thing you know what I mean yes of course I, I wish I could have done better uh, you know is my career is it at where I want it to be of course not probably not you know what I mean I always wanted to be a champion at this time at this age I'm 35 I visualize a visual I had a visual of me being married being financially stable being a world champion but you know what I don't have those but I look at other things that I do have and and I'm I'm, I'm grateful for that you know, you haven't been in the UFC for a decade. How have you seen it change from $6,000 paydays to now on ESPN and mainstream? I mean, even when you got started back in, in 2010, it was still somewhat, you know, your first fight was UFC 124. So we had Rich Franklin on here and I remember he, he was in the, I think his first fight was maybe in the UFC 30s or 40s, you know, so even a little ways back. And he was saying how it was when he got started, it was only sanctioned in like two states. You know, and now you fit, you fought in different countries, 
You fought in some of the biggest arenas on the planet. You fought in arenas where there's nobody there. You fought on ESPN. How, how have you seen sort of this landscape of mixed martial arts change over the course of your career? Well, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it was a crazy, it's a crazy roller coaster ride, you know, Reebok, especially when Reebok came in, you know, uh, having, having the, the Fox and then the ESPN and the Reebok, uh, the sponsorship from Reebok coming in, always dressing Reebok, all that stuff, uh, that employees, a lot of, a lot of different faces, a lot of coming, a lot of guys came and gone, you know what I mean? A lot of different faces. It's, 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 uh, you know, what? mentally it can, it can either crush you or it can build you. Right. So, so, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, there's always going to be a, a negative and a positive thing, but this is another thing I've been actually wanting to talk to you about is pretty interesting. I got introduced to it from Arizona. It's called the Kabbalion, the Kabbalion philosophy, the Hermetic philosophy. Never heard it's of pretty, it. Yeah, you should look at look into it. It's pretty interesting. It's a very, it's an ancient, it's an Egyptian way of, it's, a, it's Hermes. Hermes was a superhuman power. He was a descendant from God. And apparently, we all, we, apparently, there's a, there's a whole, like, philosophy behind this. And long story short, the metal, the, you know, one part of, one principle, uh, I just want to share with you quick, quick. One principle that I like the most is called mentalism. The all is mind. The universe is mental. So at the end of the day, either you wake up and say, I'm going to have a shitty day or I'm going to wake up today and say, I'm going to have a beautiful day, regardless of the environment. It's all, everything is mental. You can be locked up in a prison cell and make the best out of it. Or, or, or you can be, you know, you can be living in a mansion surrounded by 20 guys. You know, Mike Tyson, one of my, uh, Mike Tyson was a, was a beautiful story. Uh, Customato was a mentor, one of my favorites. You know, Cus, Customato and, and Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, everyone knows the story because he's a bigger scale. So that's why I'm talking about Mike Tyson. Look at Mike Tyson, for example. 21, world champion, millions of dollars, had everything. And look, and he, was still, and he still became self-destructive. You know what I mean? So it's all about perspective, right? It's the mind, the mental. If you don't control the mind, it, you're like it's like telling, it's like taking a foundation from a house. You can have the... You can have the most beautiful home in the world, you know, aesthetically, the way the house looks, but without the foundation, the house is going to collapse. And that's the mind for me. Yeah, it's like build, building that mansion on sand, which, which looks great, but doesn't withstand when the hurricane comes. And the one thing we know is that the hurricane is always coming. Adversity is always coming. It's w- whether you're prepared for it and whether you can handle it, you know. And <clears throat> one of the things I think that's over the course of your career, you, you mentioned this and you talked about how you've trained with three world champions, George St. Pierre, Anthony Pettis, and Ben Henderson. And we had Tom Murphy uh, on here who Tom Murphy fought when it was USA versus Canada. I think UFC 58 main event was Franklin versus David Loizzo and GSP versus um, uh, BJ Penn. And then I think Sam Stout and a lot of guys who you've been in the cage with other guys you've trained with Patrick Cote th- that are, that are no longer competing in the UFC. were on, we're on that card. And, Tom, very unique, is he's an entrepreneur. He was working as a CEO with a railroad, and he would travel all over the country. And as he would travel all over the country, he would go and train with top team in Florida. He would train with Rich Franklin in uh, Cincinnati. He would train and, and try. You probably know Tom Murphy. He would train, yeah, of course. Uh, train yeah. in Montreal. And um, so, you know, Tom would train all over the country. And I remember when, when, when I would started coming to TriStar Gym, it was because I had started with Tom Murphy and we were driving up to Montreal and I'd go up and I would watch you guys train, try to learn the sport, right? And as you're getting into mental performance coaching, 
you know, I was a UFC fan. I, mean, I remember watching UFC one and two and, and with Hoist Gracie and Dan Severin and those guys, but I, I didn't know anything about the sport physically, mentally. I just was a fan. And there's a big difference between being a fan and being a student and being a fan and being a coach. So when I got started in working in mixed martial arts, I just, I wanted to get to TriStar as often as I can, sit in the corner with a notebook and just watch and yeah. just take notes. And I remember driving up and back and forth with Tom Murphy and he would, he would constantly talk about training with, you know, Rashad Evans, with Keith Jardine, with kind of like the who's who of the UFC at that time. And he would say how he learned things from all these different people, but they were all so different in how they trained and what they did. Right. So what are some of those things, John, if you look at training with three world champions and GSP Pettis and Ben Henderson, what are some of the things that you picked up from each of them that you've maybe added to your, your career in or outside of the octagon? Yeah, well, like, like what we spoke about earlier, you know, they're all like personality character, you know, like everybody has different core values. You know, that's something that I picked on, you know I mean? they as when it came when it came to the actual physical part, the work ethic, the the mental, the physical, and the emotional, all different, right? And that's where the human part comes in, and that's why. And this is where what I found that I needed. I needed to answer my own questions. You know, sometimes you have your in, internal. I call it the conflict of interest, which your inner internal log, right? The voices in your head. You know what I mean? Like the questioning, the asking. All these things are unnatural. You know, most people they shy away from it um am i good enough uh am i will i ever reach my potential uh is this the right training partner for me is this the right coach for me it can be in a relationship you want it, you're going on a date is this the right growth all these questioning and decision making you know as an athlete becoming a professional fighter making more money being in the bigger stage in the bigger stage dealing with all this pressure Nobody really talks to you about these things. No one prepares you for that, you know? And this is why, like I always say, there's 99% of trainers out there and there's only 1% of real mentors, you know? And that's why I always wanted a connection with my teacher. If I had no connection with my teacher, it, it would never work. So that's why, for me, it's always about what I learned from all these individual fighters is at the end of the day, they didn't have the answers for everything, but... They, they had that self-core belief in themselves, you know? And, and that's what separates the best from the average is that they relied on themselves. They weren't relying for external, like they weren't, they didn't have low self-esteem, you know what I mean? Regardless of, of certain things, you know what I mean? As a human being, we're never going to always feel confident. But one thing is they had their mind, the, the, the structure, the foundation was solid. You know, I love how you just said that, that they had self-esteem, but they also could have fear, right? Like you can, you can, you can be confident, but also experience a lack of confidence or, or fear. And I think the difference between fear and self-esteem is self-esteem is I, I know I, I know I can do it. Fear is I know the other guy I'm getting in there with can do it too. You know, so Talk to me about fear, John. Is that is that something that you experience as an athlete? And, and if so, how do you get to your learn to use fear as fuel? Yeah, well, well yeah, that's a great question. Fear, fear. Everybody's for the, the word fear is. I feel like it can be misinterpreted. You know, what I mean, because some guys are different, right? Some guys fear can mean different things. But you no, know, for me, fear was to be underachiever, not to perform. That was my fear. I was never scared. I grew up in the streets. You know, what I mean. I'm Lebanese. I grew up in the streets where 
fighting for me was natural. I was uh, I was in elementary school, high school, college with like 90% of the guys, 90% of the time I'm surrounded by other nationalities. Like, so I had to kind of fit in, right? And most of the time, you know, I was considered an outcast. So fighting, I was, it was, I was always fighting, you know what I mean? And uh, I was never scared to get hurt. It was mostly the older you got, the more responsibilities you had. You kind of, you start putting pressure on yourself, the fear of not performing, the fear of not achieving your certain goals. And these are all natural things, right? So how, and, and the way I dealt with uh, my setbacks and, and being scared to go into a cage in a sense where what if, what if I get hurt? What if he punches me and he just like all the what ifs, right? That's another thing we learned. What if, what if, what if? Trying to eliminate that, flush it out and focus on what is and what I can control. I can't control my ACL surgery. I could, I got in the fight. I was doing a pivot. I, I, I actually felt my knee buckle in the fight and I continued kicking with my leg. I kicked the guy uh, round, round two, I, I believe. I felt an instant pop crack. You know, they always say pop crack. That's like the initial, uh, oh, you fucked up your ACL. So I was doing a pivoting moving and I felt, boom, my legs just inflated. And I said, I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep kicking through it. I kept moving. I, I didn't, I, he never knew I was hurt in the fight. My opponent never knew, you know, like uh, fighting, fighting. You always have this uh, language, you know, ne never let, never let the other opponent know that you're injured. Never let the other guy know that you're hurt. You always have to have that poker face. Even if he kicks you and he punches you and, and, and you're, and you're hurting, you never, you can't show you can't show that you're in, you're injured because then you know like they say uh, a, sh a shark when they smell blood they're gonna attack right so I never showed that I, I always kept my composure I kept on playing the points I was very defensive I kept on moving making him miss hitting him hitting him staying active for the judges you know what I mean so so all that stuff right out of your control focus on what you can control and get that back in the fear part you can't really control that like you cannot control that and that's once you understand that you kind of just ride with it you know what i mean you gotta you gotta let go you know what i'm trying to say and uh, that's uh that's my way of dealing with my own fear love that it's awesome thanks john you know recently on twitter one of the things you posted about was that life is about uncovering and discovering passion yeah it, it, well according in your opinion what is the process of discovering your passion what does that look like for our listeners how do they go about discovering and uncovering that passion so so when i got when i was pursuing fighting and this and that. I was the scholar of the game, right? All I wanted to do is consume myself with, I used to, I used to watch legendary fighters. Like I go back in the, I was a big boxing fan, right? Uh, big boxing fan back in the forties, thirties. You got Jack Dempsey, uh, Willie the Pep, all these different fighters, different coaches. I would watch documents, you know, and uncovering, discovering was, was one of, uh, was a custom model, right? Cus always said it. You need to. Everybody has a purpose, right? You, you're a talented man. You have your purpose. I have my purpose. You know what I'm trying to say. You're strong to yourself. You, you knew deep down and said, you know what? I might not be an athlete, but I want to be. I love this. I want to help the athlete. And you became one of the best mental performance coaches in the world. You know what I mean? We all have a purpose, and you have to be honest to yourself. So uncovering, discovering is is that is 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 that life journey. Is that and I discovered it in a very young age. I knew that. I want to pursue martial arts and I want to pursue, um, I love fitness. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really, is like a religion, uh, exercising, eating clean, uh, 
pursuing it can be a small goal like i want to run a five kilometer marathon or it can be i want to go into a, a track i want to go into the iron man i oh i want to become a ufc fighter i want to i want to put whatever thing you want to pursue it's it's that's what it is uncovering and discovering like life should be lived spontaneously when you're too much mechanical it's it also is not good because then you're you're forgetting the natural side of you like the nature we're also humans right there's a nature there's a natural side of us and there's a mechanical side of us and bruce lee is another one of my uh role models bruce lee is obviously the godfather of mixed martial arts and everyone knows bruce lee and he was a philosopher and he was and he read a lot of books he said it the most you know you got to be in between the yin and the yang you can't be too mechanical and you can't be too unnatural because now it's like you're always going to be pulled in different directions so and routine can become almost too routine at times, right? And I think a lot yeah. of times we we I've fallen victim into that trap where I try to set up everything for like days, weeks, even months at a time, That's and you crazy. become so routine that then you're you're you like crave monotony or you crave spontaneity, you know. And and so it's like the balance of routine is really good in terms of being productive, but like anything else it can also become, it can also put you into a, a routine can become a rut teen if you live in it for too long, you know? So it's, I like to talk now about living my life in training camps, you know, in a training camp for a UFC fight might be eight weeks <coughs> for a 15 minute fight, which is, which is crazy, right? It'd be like going through all of major league baseball spring training for one at bat. But I really have found benefit recently in living my life in like training camps. So a training camp might be 10 days, 10 miles a day for 10 days. A training camp might be for a month where I'm going to ride my bike for 20 miles every day for a month. A training camp might be I'm going to eat a certain type of way with macronutrition and exercise until I go from 190 to 180 and then I'll reevaluate. But I can always see I can always see the target in the finish line, but I know there's no finish lines. And that might sound crazy to people that I can see the finish line, but there's no finish lines. Cause as soon as that one race is done, you reflect, you celebrate, and then you recourse correct and you get back into the next race, you know? And I think that's one of the key things that I would share with people is that as soon as one goal is done, the next one begins. However, take that time when you finish to celebrate, reflect, learn, grow, and move forward. And speaking of learning and growing and moving forward, John, what advice would you give to our young listeners that have big goals and want to achieve big things, but they find themselves dealing with some insecurities? What advice would you have for them? My advice is a, well, it's a, it's a great question. I'm at the age of 35 and I always reflect on my own decisions and my own, like, it's a constant struggle. You know, I always use the analogy as you got to roll with the punches, you know, as of being an, a, a fighter, a martial artist competing since age of six, I dedicated my whole life to martial arts. You know, I was very fortunate. I did. I touched many different disciplines and I competed in many different things. And being a fighter, is, is what, what teaches you is all about endurance. And that's why, like, physically now, I'm talking about in a, in, a, in, a, in a more of a material world, that's why I have high respect for triathletes, Ironman. Those guys, I surround myself with those guys. Right now, I developed a new regimen where... I, I, I kind of uh, shifted, I, I mind shifted from a traditional conventional strength training program where you're doing a lot of heavy lifting power. This, I went to a lot of endurance because I found that, especially like for, for life in general, is how to deal with pain. 
you know, emotional pain, physical pain, or mental pain. And you look at these guys, you know, these guys that go on the bike for miles and miles, they go in the water and they're running. They're in so much pain. They have so much agony and they make you look so like, uh, they make you look like it's easy. You know what I'm trying? And I know that we both touched that a little bit. You did a little bit of on yourself with the, with the bicycle. You know, I did it. I actually invested in a sports bike and I would go to a, a specific facility and I would, and they would put me on a bike. And they'll, the guy would set me up on a program and I would be on the bike for like 60 minutes with different, uh, different RPMs and it would get hard and then hard. And I, and, uh, if I if I can last on a bike for like one hour, fifty minutes in the cage for me is like that was my confidence, right? Mm. Like because it's not about how big your muscles are, you know what I mean? It's all about in a, in a, in a combative you need to be mobile, you need to be fast and strong. Speed equals power, and a lot of guys have this misconception where as an athlete you need to have big arms, big chest, and that's more of insecurities. You know, you got the body look. I call it you want the beach look. Everybody wants that ad. Everybody wants that uh, eight. Uh, uh, that eight pack, right? But then the more you punch them, you punch them in the abdominals, and they crush, right? So you can have a beautiful, you can have a nice eight pack, but if you can't handle a punch, it's useless, right? In a in a in a in a fighting world, obviously, right? So that was just like my joke. So did you see those guys? Those try like look at Nate Diaz, perfect example, like the Diaz brothers. They, those guys, they don't have uh, the perfect physique, but these guys can have they have endurance, right? So it's it's a mental thing and it's a heart, right? To to work your heart, and so the, for the young guys, that's what it is. It's about don't wish for an easy life. Wish the strength to endure a difficult one, you know. And no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times, what well, in a physical form, it's very important. Uh, since you brought this up, the message for me is being aware, conscious, like. It can be your own mother and your father. And, and that's the hardest part, you know, because sometimes the people you love the most can criticize you the most because they don't believe in themselves. So they're going to crush your spirits. And for the young generation, it's, it's the hardest thing to do is to separate yourself from the people you love. But if you're deep down inside, you really believe in yourself and you really want to pursue a certain direction, it's okay for people around you. They don't understand what you want. And it's, that's okay. It's okay for them to criticize you. It's okay for them to say, don't do it because they want to protect because people, they don't do certain things because they don't want to, they don't want to face the fact that they might fail. And that's what stops most people is the, is the, you might fail. You might suck at it and that's okay. It's okay to suck at it. It's okay to fail, but at least you tried it. Life is a journey, not a destination, right? It's, it's life is about experiencing. And if you suck at it, now you turn on to something else. At least you tried it. It's like food. You go to a restaurant. You're not going to like everything in the menu. But once you know what you like, you just simplify stuff. It's like taking, it's like taking the trash to the garbage. You, you're cleaning up the clutter. That's what you're doing. As a young, if, I'm, if I look back, if I can go back to my younger youth when I was 14, instead of going out, having fun, getting into parties, getting into trouble, I would have I told my younger self, is to get the mind right, surround yourself with good mentorship. Like that's the best advice I can give someone is to surround yourself with a good role model, because that's gonna be your that's gonna be your your measuring stick. And if those, and for those, you know, one of the things you said there, John, I thought was so good was don't wish for an easy life, wish for the strength to endure a difficult one. And I know for a lot of listeners that are dealing with some challenges and looking, looking to get some, some mental performance coaching and level up their mental game. 
no better person to get it with than someone who's got a decade of being inside of the octagon and fighting battles all over. So, John, for our listeners that are interested in reaching out to you, whether it be to engage in one-on-one coaching or to have you come in and speak to their team or speak at their school or, or speak in their gym, what's the best way for our listeners to, to get a hold of you? Well, on social media, it's at John McDessey. You can always DM me on, on social media and also my website, John, John McDessey. Uh, .net is a, is my little a, a, a nice way people can look at my I have a short biography johnmcdessy.net is very simple straight to the point uh, and also if they want to reach out to me they can reach out to me through my hotmail at johnmcdessy uh, sorry john underscore mcdessy at hotmail.com nice so we got john underscore mcdessy at hotmail.com we've also got uh, the website johnmcdessy.net that's J O H N M A K D E S S I, John McDessie.net, and also on Twitter and Instagram at John McDessie, J O H N M A K D E S S I. We'll make sure that we post this in the show notes as well. John, man, so good to see you. So good to reconnect. Thanks again for jumping on the Mental Performance Mastery podcast and sharing your story and sharing your strategies with us. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate everything. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.